Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Welcome as we talk through the Gospel of Luke. I'm so glad you guys are all here, whether you're in person or online. Um, it's a joy to be together as we study God's Word. Um, our GCs, we have these things around here called GCs, Gospel Communities. Um, our GC right now is reading uh, Mark John Comer's book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Have you guys heard this? If you're addicted to your iPhone, you really should read it. It's good. Um, Andy and I are doing our version of an audiobook reading it, which means he's driving and I'm reading it out loud. And uh, Mark John Comer did a really great job of just simplifying exactly what we've been talking about. That the reason that we just open up the Gospels and read about Jesus is that when you're choosing to follow Jesus, be a disciple of Jesus, whatever uh, wording you use, what that means is that you look at what Jesus did, what Jesus taught, his actions, his postures, and you seek to follow in that way, in the way of his teaching, in the way of his actions. And we know that we live in a different culture now than where Jesus was, but we still, in learning about Jesus, what we're doing is we're posturing ourselves to say, how would Jesus be in the world today? Jesus wasn't a mom. Um, but how would Jesus mother my children? That kind of thing, right? And so that's just a reminder because we're spending a really long time in the Gospel of Luke because we just want to look at this way of Jesus and we want to follow it. So I just was reminded, like, the why of this really matters in our life together and as our lives uh, following Jesus as individual. So a lot of this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to go into a story and we're going to do a lot of observing. And sometimes, especially when our Bibles put in the little headers and it says something like, you know, one of my versions says, Jesus teaches on humility. And then you read it and you're like, okay, well, got it. And you can kind of go quickly past. But we're going to slow down these passages. If you've been somebody who's reading your Bibles for a long time, um, some of these are familiar, but they're worth, for the reasons we just said, they're worth slowing down and sitting in these stories in the way of Jesus. So um, we're going to follow through a passage that has four movements. These aren't like earth-shattering movements. It's just sometimes I think it can help our focus to know where we're headed. And so um, I'm going to just pray, and we're going to dive right in. So um, God, I thank you for uh, a loving and uh, accepting community that can um, have me sitting up here like this this morning. Um, I pray that as I don't feel quite myself, that you, God, still can move. Holy Spirit, we're gathered in your name, Lord Jesus. Holy Spirit, move through these words, through this community, through your scripture. Um, move in our hearts and, and really form us, shape us to be people who reflect you well. Um, so have your way with us this morning. Lord Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. So the first piece of the story that we're in today, we're in Luke 14. Um, we just sort of get the scene, the scene and the setting where we are. So I'm going to read, I'm using the NIV this morning. So one Sabbath, Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee. He was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? 
but they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. And then he asked them, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into the well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. So we see a couple of things here as we start into the context of where all of this is happening. First, it's the Sabbath. This is a holy day set apart by God. And we have faithful Jewish people who are gathering in honor of this very holy day. We also see in this setting, Jesus is a guest of a Pharisee. And he's specifically, the text tells us, he's being watched by the other guests. This sort of sets a tone for us. So we do see, first of all, sometimes the Pharisees offered hospitality to Jesus, but we see time and time again that his ministry is often coming to odds with them and making spaces a little uncomfortable. And Jesus seems to know the vibe of the table he's been invited to, right? There's Pharisees, teachers of the law, and people watching him. He's been talking about the kingdom of God. He knows why he's been invited to this table. And I feel like he knows he's being watched and being tested. And Jesus, you guys, man, he does not seem to be worried about socially uncomfortable situations. You know, do you, I get social discomfort, displaced embarrassment is what I call it. I turn red if something is uncomfortable happening at a table around me. And so in a moment like this, Jesus just isn't uncomfortable. He knows the vibe of where he is and he's willing to just go there where other people might feel uncomfortable. Because Jesus in this moment, catch this, he's not just teaching about Sabbath. He reaches out and heals with a touch. Remembering that somebody's physical ailment made them ritually unclean in that society, Jesus can heal with a word. We know that from other stories. Jesus touches. You guys, this is an action that would have uh, represented a return to social connections. This person hadn't been able to have hugs for a long time. And Jesus reaches out, not only healing, but touching the illness. Jesus' wholeness is bigger than the impurity. And so when the script, when the text says they couldn't answer, I actually see it like their jaws are on the ground. Jesus not only healed on the Sabbath, but he reached out and did it with touch and at a Pharisee's house. So we kind of have a feeling around this table. And I also remind us of this, the table fellowship in that culture, you guys, it said a lot. To eat together created a social special bond. Who you ate with, who you didn't eat with, it said something. Who you invited, who you didn't invite. It all had meaning. It mattered and it helped define your place in society. Psalm 41.9 laments, even my close friend, someone I trusted who shared my bread has turned against me. What this says is the importance culturally of sharing a meal. That was a bond. And so when that's been broken, the table fellowship really matters. And what we see in the next movement that we're about to get to is that Jesus takes this table fellowship moment and he starts teaching in it using familiar language about a wedding banquet. So before I read the text into this next movement, I want you to know he's maximizing not only only the social norms already understood at the table, but he's now drawing on really familiar imagery for a faithful Jewish person from Old Testament scripture. 
reading from Isaiah 25, starting in verse 6. This is a known promise of one day when God would make all things right. And listen to the language. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. Of course, some of that imagery we know is being repeated in the book of Revelation when God comes back and you're invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And the Lord will say, even I'm making all things new, I'm wiping every tear from every eye, even death will be undone, right? That's this promise. Well, as a faithful Jew, you know this imagery. And I bring it up because We remember Jesus has been invited to this table. Hey, come and talk to us. You've been talking a lot about the kingdom of God. Come to this table. We're all going to be watching you. And now this person who's been talking about the kingdom of God evokes imagery that would have really been known and could be lost on us, right? So if we're getting into the shoes of the folks sitting at that table, when Jesus says, picture a feast, you guys, they're like, yeah, got it. I know exactly the feast that we're all longing for. I know it in my heart and my mind as a faithful Jew. So now we're going to read the second thing where Jesus now turns to those watching at the table starting in verse 7 when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table he told them this parable when someone invites you to a wedding feast there's that wedding feast imagery evoked do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may be invited if so the host who invited both of you will come and say to you give this person your seat then humiliated you'll have to take the least important place But when you're invited, take the lowest place. So when your host comes, he'll say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you'll be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So now again, remember, in social status in this culture was visibly known. You knew from a group of factors where you stood in relation to other people around you. And so in this honor and shame society, you guys, the concept of showing off or bragging, it was not looked down upon. You kind of got to own whatever social position you had in that culture. It was normative and not like how we, it would be kind of like, own it, I'm kind of a big deal, you know? And that was okay in that culture. So at first it sounds like Jesus is just giving really good, sound, prudent advice so that you don't get made to look a fool. But verse 11 makes it clear that he's talking kingdom language. And remember, the wedding feast imagery evokes God's kingdom as well. And so we know what he's talking about is not just prudent social advice. He's saying that in this kingdom, those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This is not just, so. this is socially subversive because it's a kingdom ethic, and that's what we can read. And we know that this language is one that has been evoked throughout the Gospel of Luke, right? In Mary's song of praise, when the Holy Spirit said, hey, God's coming and doing this thing, she turned around and said, this is what's happening. The proud and mighty are going to be humiliated, and the humble will be elevated to honor. In Luke 13, 30, Jesus teaches, indeed, those who are last 
will be first and those who are first will be last. In the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, the meek will inherit the earth. This, this is a kingdom ethic. And we're in this ethic, no matter what social table you're sitting at, honor is given by God according to God's standards, not by what you do or where you're placed in society. And it cannot be uh, proclaimed for oneself. It is given by God. And this is how it will work in God's kingdom when God makes all things right. And so he's taking this opportunity to teach, how are you gonna live into this ethic now? This socially subversive ethic here and now. So then Jesus turns directly to the host. And I feel like this is kind of a bold move because in my mind, their jaws are still kind of on the floor from him touching that guy a couple of verses ago. So now he turns directly to the host and says this, Jesus says to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters or relatives or rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Again, known kingdom language, right? At the resurrection of the righteous, that this is crescendoing the same theme. But you'll notice here something that can get a little lost on us in this social context that we've been talking about, the concept of reciprocity. You give me something, I owe you something else. There was a really detailed system of reciprocity that was totally normal. And we see here the way that Jesus has chosen to say that in this culture emphasizes that because he uses this concept of repayment. He says that word three times. The idea of being repaid and who can't repay and when you will be repaid because the idea of repayment Forgiving somebody something was very clearly understood. But in God's economy, the repayment will come differently. How do you live that ethic now? In the world's working on mutual obligation to one another, giving something so that you'll get a benefit in return. Don't do that. That's not how God's economy is gonna work. What does it look like to give like the very grace of God has been given to you, to those who cannot give back? And he takes this list of four, and it, like the four for four swap, right? Here's the ones you normally would invite. Swap them all out for poor, crippled, lame, and blind. Noting that some of those in that category would be not just socially unable to pay you back, but um, uh, religiously and culturally uh, taboo, unpure. Un so he's undoing both religious and socioeconomic boundaries. He's undoing both cultural uh, thoughts. And he's just saying like those, you, you guys you would never invite if you were one of the people at this table, you just wouldn't do it. It wouldn't happen. So this would be really um, like palpably shocking list to say that that would be who you would open your table to. So I love this. I was reading Justo Gonzalez's um, commentary on Luke, which is great. I refer to him a lot in this. Um, but he talked about, I'm not going to, I studied French, not Spanish, so I'm not going to um, insult the language by trying to say it. But he said that in Spanish-speaking countries, it's customary to say this line. If anyone knows how to say it right, tell me. I'd like seriously raise your hand. It would do better. Um, but it, it says, uh, including giving alms, but any time that you're giving when 
there's unmerited favor, may God repay you. Um, that's like the response that you say, may God repay you. And what that means is it's an acknowledgement that I cannot do the repaying. May you be blessed for giving what you know cannot be repaid. And that's uh, uh, something that you would say that in echoes uh, Proverbs 19:17. whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and will be repaid in full. But it's important to note in Jesus's teaching, he's not saying do it so you get on God's good side, so you get points in heaven. We know that's not how it works. Be merciful as God has been merciful to you, right? That's the way this, um, this response works. And so uh, what, what this is teaching is he's saying um, uncalculating generosity towards low status, it, it won't go unnoticed in God's economy. And that's where it matters because again, God is the one who chooses the honor of an, individ an individual, including the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. And you're acknowledging that value in the world now. So that's what it's saying. And God will know that. So then in the fourth movement now, in this table fellowship, this is one long table fellowship conversation, right? Jesus now turns to all guests, and this is the portion that Matthew read for us. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, knowing like, yes, that, that kingdom feast we've been waiting for. And Jesus, uh, Jesus replied, excuse me, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he said his servant to tell all those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. We heard those excuses. I've got to check out my ox. I got a new field. I got married. All these excuses moving forward. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Do you remember that list from a minute ago? Those are our peeps. Go find them and invite them to my table. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's more room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes, compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. A couple quick things to note here. I try not to like belabor these points, but they are really beautiful points to know. A wedding feast like this, you would have sent invitations far in advance. These people said yes. All of the reasons they give are not urgent. It's not like, oh, I just came down with COVID. Like, I couldn't help it. I can't come. It's not something that immediate, right? These are things that could be planned out that aren't urgent, that you knew about when you said yes, the switch to a no would have been like a slap in the face to your host for reasons such as this. But remember, this is a parable. When Jesus teaches in parables, a parable is a fancy word for a story that seems to have one meaning but has a deeper spiritual meaning at the same time. And so what we can see in this, the commentators point this out, these situations, number one, we're supposed to see it's not urgent and that it's a social slap in the face to the master of this banquet. We're supposed to see that. Um, you shouldn't say no for these reasons in a real social setting. But what do they represent? They represent commerce, possessions, relationships, the stuff that gets in our way of our faithful following and response to the gracious love of God. So they're representative of what gets in the way. So uh, 
Luke Timothy Johnson says it this way, for, not for reasons of compelling urgency, but because they're looking to their own interests rather than the call from the other, the other capital O, like the call of God, the host of this parable's banquet. And we feel the audacity of this rejection. And so how does the host respond? Open up the table, invite more people. The table has been set and invite more to come. Some say that this, like first we had our our four groups to invite, there was still more room. Go out of town into the country lanes. That's like the Abraham covenant, right? Like through you, there'll be a blessing to all nations. Invite people outside. That would be a sign of like, everyone will be invited to this table but listen to this, compel them. That's what struck me this week, compel them to come. At first you might think, wait, in this social context, Melissa, why would anyone need compelling? If you're trying to climb a social ladder and you get an invitation, wouldn't you be like, yes, this is my big moment. But no, I mean, I only watched a little bit of Downton Abbey and I get the idea, right? If like the lowliest new young maid got invited to cross all those house help and then family barriers to be invited to like a gala at the family event, like they would be scared out of their mind. I'd be like, no way, I do not belong at that table. They would feel Uh, really uncomfortable. So no, the host says, compel them. Let them know this banquet is set and I want you at this table. Compel them to come and be my guest. So part of what we're doing today, um, this isn't anything like bigger, like this is just a little like tidbit, right? Um, Sometimes it can be scary to know how to like open up the Bible and engage with scripture. And it's really been on my heart lately for us to just be growing as people who are reading the word of God. To be shaped by the word of God, we've got to be in the word of God. And so I give you this little tidbit just because we're doing this today, if it helps stick in your mind. When you don't know how to engage, uh, there's this one model, SOAP is the acronym. You literally open it up and you look at scripture, you make observations, you slow down even in a familiar text to say, what are some observations? How would I feel if I were the host in this moment, et cetera? You make application or you try to and you pray. So anyway, if you just need a little thing to help you when you don't know how to open up your Bibles, I like to share thoughts from time to time. So in us doing this SOAP model, I want us to just pause and not rush too fast in a familiar story. Because this teaching on this kingdom ethic of humility, of inviting in others who would feel different to you, I think about one of the first applications that I know of, of how a pastor applied this to a community when Paul wrote to the churches in Rome. And he said this in Romans 12, starting in verse 3. For, the gra- for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. And he's talking to the church, the community, to say, no, your place matters, but we're all different. I'm summarizing a big section of scripture. We all have different things we bring to this body, but don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to, right? Right? Like, Be humble in how you engage with one another because remember, Jesus' mission was to everybody, 
everybody, even if the table gets uncomfortable for you socially. We know the mission of Jesus was to preach good news to the poor. He says it in Luke 4.18 as he's starting to launch his public ministry. He echoes again the prophet Isaiah and says, this is happening in your midst. This is why I've come. Jesus says to the people following him, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's Luke 5, 31 and 32. So we know, we know in our mind that this table is set by God for everyone who's hungry for this good news. But we also do know that feeling of uh, feeling like we don't belong or thinking we don't belong. Maybe it's not right now, but there's been a time in our lives where you get that pit, that insecurity. Like, what if I don't belong? And I wanted, I was thinking about that in that moment where where Jesus uses the the kingdom, uh, the, the master of that banquet to say, compel them, hear the heart of God, compel them to come. I had this feeling just earlier, I guess it was earlier this week, I was invited to this event And as everyone was going around and introducing themselves, they were like ministry leaders and authors and uh, leadership coaches. And I was like, what am I doing? I don't know if I belong. And you just, you, you get that message. And I had that feeling here in December 2001 when I walked in that door by myself for the first time. And I was like, oh my gosh, I do not know anybody. And I don't know if I belong. But that was a really long time ago. And sometimes it's easy to forget, especially when you've become engaged in a community and you've come to know people and you can kind of forget that feeling. But I want you to think, when was a time that you were like, oh, you that little thing in your tummy that didn't feel great. And I want you to listen to what it feels like, what it would be like to be a part of a community that was really, really dedicated to compelling people in to table fellowship, compelling people in to say, this is a space for you. First of all, if you're like the me of that 2001 moment and you're newer and you're feeling that today, I want you to know you you do belong. Like everybody belongs here. God loves you. And uh, this community would love to love you and know you too. I want to say that. But if you're here and you've been here a little while and you have friends who are sitting around you, I want you to remember a moment when you felt that way and have our eyes reopen to what does it look like to be people dedicating to compelling, looking for the one. Be the voice of compelling invitation for someone who might be feeling discomfort in this space or another space that you find yourself in because we're followers of Jesus outside of Sunday mornings, of course. But right now I'm talking about this space because this is the space that we're in to tell people like, this is a place where you belong. And sometimes I get the great privilege of having to confess something. James says we need to confess our things to one another, right? That's good. And in community, we do that. I just sometimes find that I have to do that wearing a microphone to a whole bunch of people. And it's not my favorite, but I want to be faithful to demonstrate it. You guys, I did this at our recent community night. I told you I came back and I had that 
cough for a while. So as everyone was getting everything ready and setting the table, I walked to CVS to buy some cough drops. And I ran into a gentleman there who was asking for some money. And I said, you know what, I don't, I don't have cash, but we're literally making dinner right now. Come, come join us. We'd love to, to serve you supper. And um, then I came back to community night and I sat at a table and I had a lovely time chatting away with friends and getting to know them better and sharing about my recent trip. But you guys, I, my, I literally sat with my back faced away. And later on in the evening as we were wrapping up and Andy had been working the grill and I said, oh, you know, I met this person. I don't think he came. And Andy said, he came. He came and he made a plate and he left pretty quick. But I, I served him because he was, he was the grill man in the moment. And I was like, what is wrong with me? I literally gave the invitation and then I walked into the space and I did not posture myself with expectation that an invitation would be received. My physical posture was not in tune to the invitation I had spoken 20 minutes earlier. I was not positioned in expectation. Are we positioned in expectation? when we are in a space of comfort in this community, in our GC settings, in community night, in your neighbor friend group, wherever you are, are you positioned in expectation that God would call with a compelling invitation, come to the table, this space is for you. That's what the invitation is. And I want us to be people who are postured to be, have eyes to see the one who may be uncomfortable and dive into that discomfort if necessary to welcome them to the table. So somebody, who was this that pointed? One of the, um, actually it was interesting. A couple of the commentaries I was reading used the term topsy-turvy, like different authors. I thought that was funny. It's like shenanigans, like nobody uses that anymore. But it's true, like, so one of them said, like, this is generous values, topsy-turvydom of this kingdom. I love that. The topsy-turvydom of this kingdom is reflected in our social relationships as Jesus followers, specifically this morning talking about in this space here. Joel Green says that Jesus is participating in the creation of a new social order in which boundaries that normally exclude, exclude people like this, excuse me, um, are rendered inconsequential. And he says this, he initiates a new community grounded in gracious and uncalculating hospitality. I love that line. That's the, not, not keeping accounts to be repaid, right? That's the uncalculating part about it. We're not talking about whether or not we're gonna get something back from somebody before we become expectant. Gracious and uncalculating hospitality like Jesus. And the reason it matters is because our posture like that, it's not just about our posture as a community. It's because that posture directly reflects our view of God's salvation. If we truly believe that God's design is reconciliation for every body, then every tribe, every tongue, we don't, we don't use a measuring scale of whose sin looks like what. We don't say, you can't join us at this table unless you check these boxes that I, Melissa, have prioritized as the most important. No, 
We don't do that. When we're looking as a community, what we want to do is we want to share the love of Jesus. We want to be postured in an expectant posture that Jesus is saying, yes, you are welcome at this table. You guys, this table is Christ's table. It's not ours. We steward this space, but Jesus is the one who's called us to this table. And that's where I'm going to leave us this morning. In the words that church often uses to, uh, um, to launch us into a time of communion, which we're about to take in a minute, we often read Paul's words from 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to read those uh, in a minute. But it's important to note that when Paul is speaking these words to the church in Corinth, He's speaking it as a word of correction. There has become division in this church, unequalness at the table. Some are hungry and others are being gluttonous. And Paul says, what are you doing at Christ's table? So the words that we read every week are like a lot of weeks. Sometimes I paraphrase them and I shouldn't do that. Um, we should read the actual words. But um, it's, a, it's in a moment of correction to remember how Christ formed this table. And I love it when I, I was reading the, Paul's corrective words in Eugene Peterson's message version of scripture. And some of the correction that uh, was paraphrased from these words sounded like this. Examine your motives when you come to this table. This table representing the kingdom table, right? It's all Christ's table. Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe in holy awe of what Jesus has done. So my friends, when you come together to the Lord's table, be reverent and courteous with one another. Reverent and courteous. That's like holy and just, just downright kind. That's a beautiful image of how we can come together. So I want to say this, as we take a move to respond to this teaching of Jesus, this table fellowship, I want you to be re ready to think, like, Lord, how can I be postured with expectancy in welcoming one another in, in Christ's name? Or maybe if you're new, I might have to ask you, like, how can you be bold to say, I have that feeling and I'm ready to be known. Like, let us, let us know you. Um, and we just want to live this life of following Jesus out together. So anyway, let's be postured with expectancy, remembering this is Christ's table, Christ's body. We are Christ's body. We are his community of gracious and uncalculating hospitality. God, I, uh, I, I pray that... Um, in, in my weakness that you would be um, just made known that uh, the strength of your words, I thank you, Jesus, they stand on their own merit. Um, I thank you that you taught around a table and that you've given us a table in response. Um, help us to be just generous and uncalculating in our hospitality so that you may be known that you may be reflected in big and little ways in the way that we do this holy, messy, beautiful thing called uh, church fellowship together. May you be known as we respond in worship today and move in our hearts in ways that only you can. Holy Spirit, we thank you. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. 
To find out more, check us out online at missiodechicago.com.